0: a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine.
1: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away.
0: So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today. When she graduated and got her first professional acting job, she was never without one again. Welcome, Laura Linney. A-OK. My guest today is Laura Linney, and she has gathered accolades for over 40 films since she graduated from the Juilliard School of Drama, among them The Truman Show, You Can Count on Me, Love Actually, Kinsey, The Squid and the Whale, Hyde Park on Hudson, The Savages, Genius, and most recently, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. On stage, she starred on Broadway in Six Degrees of Separation, The Crucible, Honor, Uncle Vanya, and Sight Unseen. On television, Tales of the City, and Four Seasons as the hilarious and heartbreaking Kathy Jameson on the Big Sea. Downton Abbey fans know her as the face of Masterpiece Theatre. She has won four Emmys, two Golden Globes. She has had several Oscar and Tony nominations. She moves seamlessly between theatre, film, and television. And she remains one of the most down-to-earth, generous, warm, and kind human beings I know. Welcome, Laura Linney.
1: Oh, Alana, thank you.
0: I know. It must be a lot (laughs) to kind of hear only one-third
1: or quarter of your actual body of work at this point. It's actually nice to be reminded because, you know, that's not what you take with you every day. I mean, you take with you what's not working at home, what you need to deal with, what's happening, what's not happening. I'm always a little taken aback when I hear someone read something like that, because I'm like, oh.
0: Well, oh. I'm here to remind you, like, you've done a lot of work. <laughs> well, thank you. And maybe the laundry was left unfolded it when you left was. the house.
1: To... <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> you betcha.
0: Um, speaking of home, you grew up in New York. So I have two different images in a way from the world of film of what growing up in New York is like. There's the Wit Stillman version, and mm-hmm. then there are the kind of more bohemian kids. And I'm
1: wondering... Which was I? What I had a a strange good upbringing because it, it, you know, got me here. Here you are. You're on little known facts. I am. But my parents divorced when I was six months old. I grew up with my mother, and she was a private duty nurse at Sloan Kettering Hospital, and she worked 12-hour shifts at the hospital. So she worked very, very hard, and I was on my own a lot. Well, Um, six months. That's young. You know. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I was a latchkey kid, you know, and there were many of us during that time. It was not unusual for kids to be, you know, out and hanging out in Central Park after school and getting to school by yourself. What part of the city? 64th between 1st and York, near near the hospital. It was a different type of New York where most stores were privately owned. There were small businesses everywhere and they knew the neighborhood. Like everyone knew that there was this nurse who had this kid and, and they all sort of made sure I was okay and how you doing and Rocky Graziano lived in my building, which was a riot. So, and he was always like, you know, anybody bothers you, you tell me Uncle Rocky, he'll come and give him a one and two. (laughs) And he dated he dated twins, which I loved. Were they identical? Yeah, they were identical twins with like long blonde hair, and they wore cowboy hats. And he would put one hand in one back pocket and one in the other, and sort of, you know, manage them up and down the street. It was hysterical, but I loved him. He was very very sweet to me, Uncle Rocky. He was Uncle Rocky. You know, and I felt consequently I felt very protected. Yeah. But you know, the neighborhood sort of looked out for me, and uh, made sure I was okay, and got worried if I they didn't see me after school. And- mm-hmm.
0: A nurse, and your father was a playwright. Mm-hmm. That's such an interesting coupling. Was your mom? Well, it didn't last. <laughs> <laughs> it was so interesting. It was so. It was yeah. such
1: a weird coupling that it it didn't last. Were they married for a number of years before? Oh, no. No. No, no, no. I think they were married in total maybe a year and a half. Maybe, if that. My mother is and was beautiful. I am not surprised. I mean, well, no, but stunning. And and smart and clever and um artistically curious and southern and warm and and my father was sexy and erudite and kind of brilliant in his own way, and they were just wildly attracted to each other. Do you and know how they met? I think the story goes, my mother was the nurse at a summer stock theater, and he was one of the actors at the theater. But they were married so briefly, and I really know very little about their relationship because they then, you know, sort of uh, didn't like each other at all. <laughs> so you were caught in the middle of that. I was. That. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And here and we they are. tried. They really yeah.
1: tried. I mean, my mother really tried to make it okay and they they both did in their in their own way. But I think I saw them in the same room three times in my life. Yeah. yeah. That's intense. Yeah. They were both very very intense people.
0: So, your mom, although she was a nurse, was obviously mm-hmm. as you just said, culturally astute mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. interested. Mm-hmm. Were you a child actress? No. When did that passion become unleashed it, inside well, you. It as started it as a
1: child. I mean, it started, I was in all the school plays and, you know, my imagination would sort of keep me company most of the time. Mm-hmm. And, and I would go to museums a lot. You know, I'd have nowhere to go after school. So, you know, museums were sort of, the great thing about growing up in New York City. So I was at the Frick a lot and I was at, you know, the Met. It was all free at that time. And, you know, so I just wander around and um, and I had a lot of really good friends and would stay over at their house a lot. And But young, very young. And then it took me a very long time to admit that I wanted to be an actress, a very long time. I think I was also surrounded by a lot of um, people who would, who would say quite brashly, and God bless them, you know, I'm going to be an actress. Mm-hmm. And I, I just didn't quite know how to take that information because right. I think I had grown up around my father and watching to see – and I saw how hard it was and – and I sort of felt it was something I had to earn. So I worked backstage for a long time. I can remember sitting in a car in a parking lot telling my mother um, when I was applying to colleges that that I, you know, wanted to be an actress. And I was terrified to tell her. And they all knew. Both my parents were really wonderful about neither encouraging or Discouraging me. Did you grow up
0: going to tons of theater in the city? Yeah, I
1: sure did. I would get like tons of tickets. That was Christmas present.
0: Do you remember early plays that you saw? Well,
1: Pippin was the first show that I saw. Um, I named my dog Pippin. Yeah, well, childhood dog. Same thing. Yes, you know, that just stays with you for the rest of your life. You know, I remember the original chorus line. I remember the magic show. I remember um, the production of Vanities that happened downtown. Um, Diamond Studs was a musical that was <laughs> down there just wild, wild. I don't believe ob- I know that things. one. Yep, yep. I loved it. And then I saw a lot of regional theater also because my dad was doing a lot of that type of work at the time, so I would tag along with him.
0: Was he a successful working
1: playwright already as you were growing up? I don't think he ever felt successful. Yeah, no, I don't think he did. He was certainly in it, and he was fighting to be in it. But I don't think he ever really enjoyed—I um, don't think he quite realized how, how well-liked he was and wow. you know, how good his stuff was. And So he always struggled with that. It was hard for him. Did um, he come
0: from an artistic family?
1: No. His father was a doctor. But my grandmother always wanted to be an actress, although, of course, during that time, we were never allowed to do such a thing. Would you go to the South a lot growing mm-hmm. up? Yeah, because both my parents are from the South. So my mother's family was from Southern Georgia and my grandmother was originally from North Carolina and as well as um, my, my father's family goes back into North Carolina for many generations. So I'm the first Yankee. Literally. Do they treat you differently? Or? My mother's family sure did. <laughs> when I was little, they <laughs> and sure Laura. did. And Laura's coming from New York. Well, it's true. I talked funny and you know, I didn't go to church every Sunday and you know, I was I was different. You were. I was different.
0: I'm so intrigued by this idea of his not feeling successful. This is a Mm -hmm. man who has published so many plays. They're in anthologies. He has a theater named after him. Did that happen in his lifetime? No.
1: No. It happened right after he died. And nothing on the planet would have made him happier than that. Nothing. And when after he died, I was doing um, a play called Time Stand Still while he was dying and, and when he died. And I was able to flip the switch on my theater marquee when they they dim the lights for him on right. Broadway I don't think he would have ever thought that that would ever happen because he never had a Broadway success ever did you ever do one of his plays in college I did where did you go to college I went to Northwestern for one year mm. and then I transferred to Brown that's hard to transfer it was Northwestern it was to... just not the right fit for you it wasn't I think it's a great school and I I love the acting program there there, there was a a teacher there named David Downs who I just adored, but I just wasn't comfortable there for some reason. I just, I, I missed the East Coast, and I, it was a big university, and I was confused. We all go to college too young, you know. Yeah, that gap years are. I yeah. feel like the
0: first year of college should really be the gap year traveling, you're, you're finding right. yourself or yeah. working, and then kind of going yeah. okay. Yeah. Now I know. So at Brown, did you make friends in I the did. arts that are still people in your Absolutely. life? yeah.
1: There's a, a big theater mafia from Brown, yep.
0: So when you think about the place that you began learning how to work as an actor, I mean, I'm sure you collect many things along the way that you take with you.
1: I think it was sitting in rehearsal rooms and watching my dad's stuff being done. Mm-hmm. I think it was just being very young and just watching and you just sort of could see things come together you could see someone you could see people go through their own process you know and to me they were all like gods up there and they were probably 19 20 years old right. but to me they were you know so i think it was i think probably it was there and i loved talking shop with my dad i, I loved it,
0: it he was he like
1: was great at that he was just oh, he was great you must miss that terribly yeah I bet. yeah a lot you know, he was he was fantastic that way. So I'm sure, you know, a lot of it came from from his influence and being around him. And then just doing it, you know, just doing it. It doesn't change. That's the thing that everybody, they think, you know, you get out of school and it's all going to change. And it, do- it doesn't. But the, at the core, it doesn't. So you went to Juilliard. I did. What made you decide to
0: continue to study rather than go out there and begin your career? Because I
1: had watched... I had watched a lot of these gods who were in my father's plays and and other theater people. I had watched these young women who were so spectacular as ingenues. Mm. They were so wonderful. And then they couldn't transition Mm. into a leading lady or to a character actress. It's when instinct dries up, they didn't know how to help themselves. And I thought, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh. I was like, I don't want to do this just because I never thought of myself as an ingenue anyway. Um, I sort did. Of you get thought, cast
0: as ingenue parts in the beginning? Occasionally,
1: not very often. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think I'm really a character actress at heart. I mean, I Maybe. feel like that speaks yeah. to
0: the longevity of yeah. your career because you're magnificently beautiful. Well, um, I'm sorry, this is a podcast. I feel like I'm cheating my listeners that they don't get to look at you right now, but I do. It's no. my podcast, and I can. Anyway, that has allowed you to play a lot of different kinds of parts, also yeah. feeling like I'll yeah. play Abigail Adams and I'll sure. do things that aren't yeah. just vanity-driven yeah. projects.
1: And it's, you know, I, I never quite know how to respond when someone goes, God, you let yourself look so bad in that. <laughs> Thank you. And I just, I, I just think, well... Do people say look, that out oh, loud? a lot. You're so much better looking in person. I get that a lot. Like, why would you make people make you look that bad? <laughs> And I just think, but it's the... That's the part. I mean, I don't quite know how to respond to that when people say it, but I think they probably mean it as a compliment. So you so went yeah, to Juilliard? I did. I'm still very involved there. In what way? I'm on the board, and I um, I take the fourth-year students out individually for lunch. And make them pay. See, see, <laughs> <laughs> see how they're doing, you know, because it's, um, you know, it's an intense period of time. And then you have to leave, you know, and you've, you've, for four years, you've been such an ensemble, and then all of a sudden, you're an individual. And it's, for me, anyway, it was heartbreaking to not have, not to be a part of a group like that. Lorenzo's Oil
0: was your yes. first film, right? <laughs> yes. As I looked at your resume, I have seen every single film or play oh, come on. that you have done. Almost. I mean, maybe there's one or two Ilana moments that I missed. I just thought it's incredible. Levine. I mean, Laura and I met, I think in like 1990, we did a one act together called Forgetting Frankie yes, at the we Manhattan did. Class Company. So that's a long time ago. Yeah. So either I saw something you were in or I was in something you were in <laughs> since then. It we was so fun. much fun. And then yeah. I remember we went out to L.A. because you were the first person I knew who had like a development deal. Oh, that's right. And we were at some hotel, right. I think, in like Universal right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we could all order that,
1: room service. All that craziness that happened that I don't think that exists anymore. Flown out for auditions and then flown back. So
0: you very quickly started getting work. Did that Consistently continue basically
1: since you've begun. Do it did you... I don't know how, but it did.
0: Yeah. You don't know
1: how because people probably would like to know. I wasn't picky. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that I was at the understudy at Six Degrees of Separation. Oh, I love in that the, production yeah, so was, much. It was wonderful. I was there with all these very jaded <laughs> understudies who were, you know, in right. the back room. They'd never listen to the play. They, you know, they'd wait till they could leave. And I, I was just—I'd crawl up in the in the catwalk and watch that play and watch Stalker Channing, who was. Unbelievable. I think she's influenced me probably in ways she's not even aware of. Your co-stars, Gabriel
0: Byrne and Liam Neeson and Ian McKellen and Paul Giamatti, Richard Gere, Steve Martin. It's impressive.
1: Who are the women that you found guidance from? Joanne Woodward. I did a, a television movie with her and we became close and she was terrific. She was wonderful to me. And are there really things wonderful. that she said that resonate with you still? <laughs> here's, here's a story. Okay. You're getting a story. Here's a good one. <laughs> All right. So I was in the worst production of Hedda Gobbler, Known to Man. Good was, for you. Yeah, Yay. <laughs> it was really, really a troubled production. It was just, it did not work. They had updated it to the 1940s, you know, so everybody looked great. It's like great. Hedda Hopper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, everybody looked great, but why don't you pick up the phone? Like, you don't have to send a note. It was just... That's it, crazy. Yeah, it was nuts. And the reviews were horrific. I think it was like "off with her head Was the was the topic. <laughs> okay? Well, I have to yep. say for that alone, it was worth it. Sorry, and um, so and I was miserable. And it was like going to the theater every night and someone handing you a glass of sand and mm-hmm. going, "Drink up," because it was oh three God. and a half hours of just not not one moment worked, not one second. And you would hear people. <laughs> You know, getting up and leaving, and you'd hear the seats flap, and oh my, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, and you're like, oh, I have the opportunity to be in a classic play on Broadway, and you just think, I am, I am injecting the, you know, the animal that is the theater with a deadly virus. I'm just, I am the (laughs) example of, you know, why classical theater should not be done anymore. And so I called Joanne. I was like, Joanne, I need your help. Like, I, I don't know what to do. This is a long run, and I need your help. So she came. God bless her. She came. And she, she, sat, she sat in the theater, and she watched it. And I went backstage after it was all over. You know, it, it felt like six months every right. time we did that play. Seven days just, later, oh she came Oh, my God. Backstage. Seven days later, she came backstage. And someone knocked on the door and said, Ms. Woodward will meet you in her car. I was like, oh, 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 okay, okay. So I I got dressed and I I jumped in her car and she was like, oh, dear house. let's just go up to the apartment, shall we? And I was like, okay, great. So we went up to their apartment, which, you know, I remember being in the elevator and going into into their apartment and sitting down and I was waiting, 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 waiting for the pearl of wisdom to come from her. And she goes, well, there's nothing you can do. (laughs) And I looked at her, I was like, what are you? What do you mean? There, I, I, I thought for sure she was going to tell me something that would right. make things fall into place. Or and she was like, "There's nothing you can do. You just have to get through it." And I, 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 uh, ooh, okay. You know, my brain imploded. Oh my god! When Joanne Woodward is like, mm, "Nope, sorry, nothing you can do there."
0: <laughs> Chamomile or that, mint?
1: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I went back to the theater and I thought, "How am I going to get through this?" disaster of a production. And, and I thought, okay, what do I like? I was like, I like my dress. I do like my purple dress that I wear. And so I tried to have a relationship with the purple dress. <laughs> and then every night I would give myself some task. Right. Like one night I pretended that my eyelashes would reach three feet ahead of me. One night I pretended my ears were enormous, just to do something to have some life. Because it was, it was, it was hard. It was hard going. That was hard. And when you're in a play on Broadway that is Oof. bad, Oof. and you're bad in it, and you know, you know it. You just people know when they're good or when they're not. They just do. Oh, you just you feel terrible. You just want to turn to the audience and go, "I'm so sorry. I am so." Dave, is, so is it Dave? Sorry, Dave. Listen, yeah, it's your
0: twenty bucks.
1: Uh, you know, honestly, yet.
0: You survived.
1: I survived. You sur- and, you know. Yeah. I survived a lot of plays like that, actually. A f- I had a few really clunkers.
0: But look how you gave yourself, like, a little present each night. Yeah. I've had things yeah. like that where yeah. where it, it's not actually the play. It's the idea of still auditioning. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, Alana, I know you don't want to go. I talk to myself in third person. Yes. Like, yeah. if you do, when we're done – we're going to go, right? Like, I'll give myself... I'm gonna get you an ice cream. Totally. Like, uh, yeah, it's that I simple. Yeah. And I'm literally like a good little girl. I'm like, chocolate I mint chip. Yep. It's really um, that easy. But it's really yeah. about little tricks. It seems to me, though, that if you do something for as long as you've done it, there have been many moments where you could have rested on your laurels. There's something really compelling about telling stories for you.
1: Yes. Yeah. And, you know, sort of... My my big thing that I always try and keep in my mind is story first. Story first, story first, story first. You know, daughter of a playwright, so yeah. story first. And then it's just connection for me. To the
0: material or to the to people working it. on it? To all of
1: it. Who do you it's love what, to work with? And- I've, Liam and I have worked together a lot on stage and on film. Liam and I did The Crucible together, and then we did Kinsey together right after that. So it was it was fun to go from sexually repressed to sexually liberated couple it was very funny nice yeah so and then Liam and I did love actually together and and we're very very you know he's a divine wonderful human being and then I've had three troubled marriages with Gabriel Byrne Mm -hmm. um, on screen on screen
0: three of them when you've been on film or doing films and television. When you segue back to theater, mm-hmm. do you feel like wait, I'm mm-hmm. wearing the wrong shoes? Like, does it take <laughs> you a moment to kind of, or is it a very natural, fluid thing at this point? It's pretty,
1: it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's it's like, um, you know, it's sort of like visiting different countries. You know, and it just always. Sometimes you wear those Holland clogs. That's right. That's right. <laughs> which I love. That's right. But for me, there's nothing like walking to the coffee cup with pencils in it.
0: And highlighters.
1: Yeah, I I can just breathe a little deeper.
0: Mm. Do you think that you can learn how to act in a film in a classroom?
1: You have to just do it. I mean, you can learn about yourself as much as you can, but more than likely you'll get on set and all that's going to just fly away. You know, it it all is like sand running through your fingers the first few times you do a movie. It's just over, and you're not aware of what's going to happen to your adrenaline when a camera is rolling or not rolling. Or, was Congo it, your first huge movie? <laughs> no, Tales of the City. That was yeah. a
0: magnificent thing that happened yeah, to you. It
1: was, and it it changed my life. I was very, very intimidated by film and TV. It was really nothing that I thought I would work in. I just always assumed that I would be a, a theater actress. and right. Those were your that people. That were my peeps, and that's what I knew, and I didn't know anything about the film. And at cameras, I'm terribly camera shy. I always have been. So How did you get that part? I aud- I auditioned, and I was originally being considered for another part, and then they called me in for Marianne. And it and, clicked. And it clicked. And a lot of those people are still very, very close friends of mine. And I named my son Armistead, you know, so his middle name is Armistead. Um So, yeah, that was an important period of time.
0: So when The Big C came around, the real beauty of that show to me was how deeply it could resonate in so many ways for Mm -hmm. so many people Mm -hmm. with unbelievable humor.
1: Yes. That was
0: a first. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, and I've always really believed that, you know, comedy can be just a survival technique. I mean, it helps you get through the unfathomable. Mm. You know, when things are chaotic and scary and intimidating and threatening, it gives you something to hang on to. And it dispels all of that for a second. And my father was diagnosed with lung cancer when I was doing that show. And he died very, very quickly. And I think it was during our third season, second season, I don't remember now. But if I had ever doubted the, the comedy combination with yeah. a cancer story, when he was dying, it was completely confirmed because the craziest things happened. I mean, just crazy, crazy things. <laughs> he was talking in an archaic Appalachian accent for a long time after surgery because he just wasn't, his mind wasn't <laughs> together. I mean, it, right. it was, his uh, hospital bed didn't fit in the elevator. So we had to go, a, like a 45-minute journey through the hospital across a Christmas party, the Santa Claus waved to us, my father speaking in an Appalachian accent. I mean, it was just, it was nuts, but it was, it was just funny. And it, what it did was it just, it kept death at bay just for a little bit of time. And it, um, it it made things clear all of a sudden. You've gotten
0: married and had a little boy. Mm -hmm. Have you acted since your son was
1: born? Yes. I went back to work sooner than I thought I would because Bill Condon, came to me and said, so when are you thinking about going back to work? He came over to meet the baby, and the baby was, I don't know, two months old. I said, well, I'm not really thinking about it, and this all went well, and here he is, and oh my gosh. And So he said, okay, okay, okay. Mm -hmm." And then he went away, and the next day I got a phone call from my agent saying, Bill Condon has offered you a part in this movie called Mr. Holmes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and it's filming in England mm-hmm. and, it's Tomorrow. I, and it's with Ian McKellen great and, all things you don't want you know, to do all things I don't want to do and I'm a Sherlock Holmes fanatic And I, are you? you know, oh, yeah yeah. and I, I just oh. so I thought well if it's for a friend it's a part where I'm playing a housekeeper you love to I, clean I love to clean my baby weight was still very much right. on my being I thought well that'll work you know my boobs are huge and you know and I've always wanted to work with Ian so I said, sure, you know, and Bill was like, look, we will completely, you know, I was breastfeeding and, you know, the baby was only four months old, I think. And it was it was terrific because it did was, your it was, husband get to go too? he came to visit for a while. Yeah, OK, yeah. And it was it was great. And they just let me bring the baby. And he was, you know, became sort of a little bit of a mascot. So for the past two years, I've been doing, like, little things and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's been really fun. It's been perfect because I'm, I'm able to be creative in that way. And then, you know, I'm able to, to not lose this time with him. It took you... me so long to have him. But, I know. You know it's uh, I don't want to miss out on it.
0: He was worth the wait. Oh, yeah. He was worth the wait. Well, that's wait. the
1: thing. You know, if someone had told me years ago, you know, not only will you actually have a child, guess what, but you're going to have that child. Mm-hmm. That child. You know, that's what's uh you know, it's amazing. You just you never know where the wind is blowing you. You know, and I'm really sort of learning as it goes. You know, yeah. I'm you know, a much older parent, so there's I'm learning all of that, what that means. And means you're tired. It means I'm tired. And but it, yeah. But it means and I'm also weirdly calm. That's great. And I
0: So I my really both love my it. children came with manuals. Yours did not <laughs> Did they not
1: give that no, <laughs> oh, I missed that. I'm so they sorry thought I was old enough that I would just know It's not an easy life mm-hmm. and the fame aspect of it, I mean that's one thing that I've that I don't have and and I'm so grateful. You're you know? not I'm well known, right? I'm not famous. okay. What's you the know? difference? How would you describe? Um, I'm not part of the culture. you know I'm not part of the tabloid conversation. Mm-hmm. I never was. I'm, you know, now I'm too old to be but even <laughs> even before I just I sort of wasn't you know and I am recognized and people do come up but it's very casual and people are very nice mm-hmm. and you know there's not a it's not aggressive no no you know it's just you know I can go about and live my life and take the subway and you know I so you uh, do you
0: can go around New York you can do oh, yeah. all the things you did before oh yeah movie stardom
1: oh, yeah, yeah you know I schlepped in my laundry cart to the to the Gristides this morning and got right. my stuff. <laughs> You no, know, there, there goes Laura Linney. There
0: she was. Um, as I said earlier, it's really your heart that leads. And I think that's what you embody every part with just a humanity and a compassion, both for who you're playing and for the other people in this story. And you do it in life, too. And I feel really lucky to know you and to oh, have had you Lana, here today. That's so kind. Thank, Thank you for being here My today. Pleasure.
1: Clouds can make
0: the wind Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast. And on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hanger Studios in New York City. Thanks for listening.